So the name of this series is based on a story that Jesus told 2,000 years ago. Uh, Jesus was very famous for telling these stories. They're called parables. And these stories were, um, you know, kind of stories that were pertinent to life in New Testament times, but buried within the story itself was a very important message that Jesus was trying to get across. And the story that we're going to look at, actually, for the next four weeks, starting today, is just one story that Jesus told uh, that we know of as the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. And um, you may have grown up in church all your life, you may be new to church, but um, whatever your church background, many people are familiar with this story. It's one of the most famous stories that Jesus told. It's actually had a huge influence on culture since the time that Jesus told the story. Over the years, the story has influenced some of the works of Shakespeare. Um, there's been an opera written just about the story of the prodigal son. Uh, it features in very famous works of arts that depict that story that Jesus told. It's even featured in a song by Hank Williams. A song that I guarantee you will not be hearing during this series, but there is a song out there written by Hank Williams all about the prodigal son. Um, there's a writer, a theologian, his name is Henry Nguyen, and uh, he tells a story of how one day he was sat in the office of a colleague of his, and uh, as he was visiting with them, the, the door to the office was closed, and on the back of the door in this person's office was a poster, and it was a reproduction, it was a print of a very famous work of art by the artist Rembrandt, and the, uh, the piece of art was called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Henry knew and he knew the story well. He'd read the story many times in the Bible, but he said as he sat there looking at his picture, he said he just couldn't take his eyes off. He was transfixed by this painting because in the painting, it was the image of when the prodigal son returned, when, when he came home. And featured in the picture is the son, the elder brother, the father, in fact, he said he was so moved by this picture that two or three years later, while traveling, he found himself in St. Petersburg, Russia. And this is where the original work of art itself is found. Knowing that he was in the same city where the original painting was, he spoke to a friend and this friend arranged it that he could go into the museum after hours to view this painting. And in a book that he wrote on the subject of the prodigal son, he talks about how he sat there in front of that painting for three hours, just staring at this work of art. I have to be honest, when I read that, I was a little bit embarrassed myself. I'd love to say I'm the kind of person that could sit for three hours just being captivated by a, a piece of art by Rembrandt. I'm ashamed to admit that I find myself staring uh, more longingly at works of art by uh, someone like Gary Larson. This is the kind of works of art that I find myself staring at. Uh, not quite as cultural as Rembrandt, but uh, right up my street. <laughs> but he said for three hours he just sat there. And the reason he sat there looking at it for so long is he said that every time he looked at another one of the characters from the story, whether it was the son or the older brother, or even the father himself. He said he saw things in this painting that brought the story even more to life. And he said that as he looked at these different individuals in the painting, he started to see himself 
in the son that ran away. He started to see bits of himself in the elder brother who stayed behind. And then he even started to to see parts of himself that he longed to have more of in the father who depicts Father God in the story. So that's what we're going to do. Over the next three weeks to come, we're going to look at those three individuals, the father, the prodigal son, and the elder brother. Each week, we're going to spend a week looking at each person in the story to learn more about what Jesus was trying to teach, but also to see if we can see some of ourselves in these individuals and where we'd like to see more of ourselves in some of them. But before we even jump in and start looking specifically at these individuals, I think we need to, to take a look at the story itself today. Just kind of take a step back and look at the entire story. Why did Jesus tell this story? Who who was he talking to? Who was he telling the story to originally? These are all really important questions to ask when when looking at the story of the prodigal son. And even though I said this is a very famous story that, that maybe all of us are familiar with, there's a chance that this morning you're not familiar with this story. So we're going to catch up on this story that Jesus told. And rather than read it from Luke this morning, he was one of the four writers of the life of Jesus. Rather than just read it from the Bible, I found a a video clip from one of those movies that they make based on the life of Jesus. You know, there have been many made over the years. This is one of the more recent ones that was made. And it's the scene where Jesus is gathered together telling the story of the prodigal son. So check this out. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. He was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I think it would have been good to have read the story, but sometimes just seeing it like that, portrayed visually, it just kind of brings the story to life, doesn't it? It's a lot more vivid, a lot more real. It was a, a lot more real for the fatted calf. I mean, that was a very vivid depiction of what, depiction of what actually happens to the fatted calf. But, but for those who didn't know the story now, now you've seen it, now you're familiar with the story. So, so why, why did Jesus even tell this story? in the first place. We're going to figure that out this morning. That's going to serve as the foundation over the next three weeks to this series because it's really important that we understand not just why he told the story, but who he was telling the story to. You see, it's, it'll speak very clearly to us this morning, but we need to understand the audience. It was very important you understand um, who it was that Jesus was speaking to because if you understand who it was that he was speaking to, you'll understand why he needed to tell the story in the first place. So um, Luke, as I said, is the one who tells us the story of the prodigal son. He, he recounts Jesus' telling of the story. But actually it comes later in chapter 15. It's actually the third of three stories that Jesus tells. There are two stories prior to the story of the lost son. And both of these stories are also about something that was lost and was then found. 
So obviously there's a very important point that Jesus is trying to get across here about something being lost and something being found. And he's actually wanted to address it to a very specific group of people. So we have to go all the way back to the beginning of Luke chapter 15 to find out who those people were. So listen to what Luke tells us in verses 1 through 3. He says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. So right there, we find out why it is that Jesus told them this story. It was for two reasons. Number one, that Jesus was hanging out with the wrong crowd. And number two, religious leaders weren't happy about it. This is what initiated Jesus telling these stories, is that there were some people, some religious leaders, who were under the impression that he was hanging out with the wrong crowd, and they weren't happy about it. You see, it says, doesn't it, that he was hanging out with these tax collectors and other notorious sinners. You see, back in Jesus' time, okay, tax collectors, they weren't popular people. Now, it made me chuckle when I was writing my notes this week because as preachers, we we say this a lot. We feel the need to explain that back in Jesus' time, tax collectors weren't popular people. As if today, they're they're really popular now. So, (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, tax collectors aren't very popular nowadays either. But back in Jesus' time, it wasn't just because they took your taxes. Back in Jesus' time, the reason they were looked down upon is because they were fellow Jews who were working for the Romans, who all the Jews were in captivity to. They were taxing their fellow countrymen on behalf of the Romans. But on top of that, they were adding these fees and they were getting wealthy and they could get away with it because the Romans were enforcing it. So no one really liked tax collectors much, especially the religious leaders. And then they kind of had this whole other group of people that they considered were notorious sinners, just basically people that weren't like them. And Jesus is hanging out with them. Jesus is spending time with them. In fact, even worse than that, in the eyes of these religious leaders, he's eating with them. In this culture, sharing a meal was the supreme act of social acceptance. Pharisees would never be caught dead eating with tax collectors or other notorious sinners. And here's Jesus eating with them. So being aware of how angry these religious leaders were, rather than confront them, rather than say, guys, you got it wrong. Guys, let me explain something here. Jesus decides in the way that only Jesus can to tell a story knowing that this story will impact these religious leaders better than any lesson or lecture he could ever give. So he tells three stories. The first story he tells is a story of a shepherd. He tells a story of a shepherd who owns a hundred sheep and one day this shepherd discovers that just one of those hundred sheep has gone missing. So rather than just chalk it up to a loss, the story Jesus tells is that this shepherd goes off in search of that one lost sheep. And as the story continues, when he finds the sheep and brings it back home, he says in verse 6, when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours, saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Then without any explanation, he goes into his second story. 
His second story is about a lady, a widow, who lives alone and she has 10 silver coins. And one day she discovers that just one of those coins has gone missing. And in the story that Jesus tells, he says that she turns her house upside down. She looks everywhere, under things, behind things, until finally she finds the one lost coin. And when she finds it, Verse 9 says that she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. And then he tells the final of his three stories about the video we just watched, the story of the prodigal son. Another story that ends with a celebration, a father throwing a huge party, killing the fatted calf, celebrating because what was lost has been found. What went away has come back. So we see this pattern start to develop between these three stories that Jesus hasn't explained, but there's a very key thing that happens in all three. There's this idea of celebration. And Jesus wants these religious leaders to understand what's going on here. He wants them to understand this pattern. And that is that these people who they have written off, the religious leaders, they matter to God. Jesus says, this is why I'm telling you these three stories. Because these people, these testers, these notorious these people that you've written off, they matter to God. In fact, they matter so much that you've turned your backs on them, but God does the opposite. He pursues them. He goes off and searches for them like a lost coin or a lost sheep. He's he's pursuing them. And more than that, when they are found, unlike you religious leaders who complain, he celebrates. Listen to how the two stories Jesus tells end. In verse 7, it says, In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In the coin story, it ends with Jesus saying, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Jesus wants these religious leaders, these, these Pharisees to understand that even one lost sinner, one tax collector, one notorious sinner, one person who doesn't know God, when they return, there is joy when they come safely home. He says the joy is in the presence of God's angels. This is saying it isn't the angels who are joyful, although I'm sure they are, but it's the angels are in the presence of this joy. This means that this joy is coming from God himself. The stories Jesus is telling is that there is this unexplainable joy when that which was lost is found. And obviously the application here that he wants these religious leaders to to grasp in all three of these stories is those people who you're accusing me of hanging out with, who you look down your noses at, who you say aren't worthy, who you think you are so much better than, God loves them so much. He's pursuing them. And when when one of them, when just one of them finds their way back to God, there is a celebration in heaven like nothing else. You see, this one parable, this story of the prodigal son, it almost, it, it sums up the entire story of the Bible. 
If you had to kind of sum up the entire story from the very beginning in Genesis when God created the world and Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world and the relationship between man and God was broken all the way through to the very end of Revelation, if you had to sum it all up in just one phrase, it would be that God wants his family back. God wants his family back. That's the story of the Bible. It's the story of what God is willing to do to get his family back. And and that's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of a father who is heartbroken that his son has left. It's the story of a father who who waits patiently and, and hopes and prays that one day that son would come home. It's the story of a father who, who, while his son is still a long way off, runs out to greet him. It's a story of grace and forgiveness and acceptance. It's the story of God's love for these people and it's the story of God's love for us. I mean, think about it. Think about all of the things in this world that could make God happy. All of the things that could bring joy in the presence of God. But Henry Nguyen, he he sums it up this way. He says, God rejoices not because the problems of the world have been solved, not because all of human pain and suffering has come to an end. No, God rejoices because one of his children who was lost has been found. That's the story Jesus is telling When one lost sheep was found, when one coin, when that one son returns, there was celebration. And that's the kind of celebration that takes place in heaven when just one person returns. And the best news this morning, 2,000 years later, is that that story Jesus told is as true today as it was back then. It's as true for us as it was for those religious leaders. It's that you matter to him. This morning, you matter to God. He's pursuing you. You may not realize this, but God is pursuing you. He's not just waiting for you. He's pursuing you like the shepherd, like the widow who's, who's desperately searching. He's pursuing you. And when that relationship is restored, he celebrates. God celebrates when just one person turns around and comes back. We sang those songs earlier that just tie in with this story that Jesus told so well. A story of running to the Father. A story of a a song of a good, good Father. But we sang the words, didn't we, about running to the Father. That's what took place when the prodigal son realized that he tried it in his own strength. He tried to do it himself And he messed up. And he returns to what he expected was going to be rebuke, chastisement, guilt, and shame. And instead is greeted, not off in the distance, but by a father running towards him to pour out his love and his grace and his mercy and to celebrate, to have a celebration that the son had returned. So I don't know where you find yourself this morning, whether you're watching online or here in person, but I want you to know that you matter to God. Whether you realize it or not, He is pursuing you this morning. There will be a celebration when you get to that point in your life of saying, God, I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to be good enough. I've tried to do what's right. But I still find that I'm falling short. 
I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come to you. I'm ready to receive your help. Like the son in the story, when you turn, he'll run to meet you. You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to discover why it was so important that Jesus delivered this message to these religious leaders. Things were about to change completely as Jesus went to the cross and died and rose again. Something was taking place that was going to change history forever. And in this moment, through this story, these religious leaders had a chance to fully understand their role in that and how they were going to respond. And we're going to look over the next few weeks, we're going to realize that there's some of us in that son that went away. There's some of us in in that older brother. And hopefully, we'll find some of us in that loving father in the story of the prodigal son too. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we love you so much. I think probably most of us here this morning are familiar with this story. Even if we didn't grow up going to church, Lord, it's such a famous story that Jesus told. It's influenced so many other stories over time. But God, we're gonna discover over these next few weeks that this story has so much depth and meaning for us today. Just as it did 2,000 years ago to those tax collectors and sinners who, who just heard you tell that story of why it was that you were spending time with them, to those religious leaders who, who probably felt a little bit challenged when you told that story because you were kind of saying it to call them out a little bit. It was a story of a loving father who pursues and celebrates when what is lost is found. 2,000 years later, it can still have a great impact on us today. So Lord, over these next few weeks, as we look at each individual character in this story, help us, Lord, to become more like the father in the story, to learn more from the sons in the story, and to grow closer to you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.